Good morning, Kitsap House. Man, I am excited to be with you all today. Um, like uh, Pastor Megan said, my name is Reese. I've known Pastor Megan and Pastor Larry for a couple years now. So I actually was an intern at Chapel Hill uh, when I was a college student way back in 2018, I think. It was like one year after Allison and I got married. Um, and I remember like in that summer of 2018, Pastor Megan coming back from spending a couple days in Port Orchard and her heart just absolutely breaking over the people in Port Orchard. And, and she came back and shared with the staff in tears about how she felt the Lord was leading her to plant a church in Port Orchard. And so to come here and five years later to see the fruit of that obedience and to be here with you guys, uh, Pastor Megan, Pastor Larry, thank you so much for your obedience to Christ and your obedience to his church. And it's just, it's an honor to be here with you guys and to be here with all of you as well this morning. Um, uh, so uh, I am here with my wife, Allison, and my little boy, Wesley, who's 17 months. He's way in the back over there. Does everyone want to turn around and give a big wave to Wesley? Say hi. Hi, buddy. Uh, we live in Lakewood, so we're about 40 minutes away, um, and I serve as the next-gen pastor at Lake City Community Church, which means I get to help lead everyone, everyone from like our babies through our high school. Another way to call that job is the diapers to diploma job. That's the way, when people ask me what I do, I'm like, diapers to diplomas, that's what we do. Um, but uh, two things you need to know about me, I love good coffee and I love football. Pastor Megan already got me coffee this morning, and I'm going to talk about football later, so I know it's going to be an amazing morning already. Um, okay, so as I understand it here at Kids Up House, you guys have been walking through a series in Leviticus 23, is that right? We've been talking about the different feasts and festivals going on. Um, so when Pastor Megan asked me to preach on Leviticus 23, my first thought was, you guys are preaching through Leviticus 23? <laughs> and you want me to come preach on Leviticus 23. So I had to spend way more time than I thought I was going to need just trying to understand like what is going on in this text. Uh, but I am, I'm really honored and pleased to be able to share uh, with you all. So this morning we are going to be in Leviticus 23 verses 15 through 22. Okay, so let's read God's word together. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, Count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect one young bull, and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. 
This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. So here in our text, God lays out a specific and he gives detailed instructions for how to carry out this party. The celebration was to last for one day and it was to be a joyous occasion in which the entire nation of Israel gave thanks to their heavenly father for the abundant gifts he had provided for them. And the specific day that God gives for this gathering is where we get the name Pentecost. Can everyone say Pentecost? Pentecost, that's right. So God gives the instruction to count off 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. The word Pentecost means 50. So Pentecost was to be celebrated every single year, and every year the people were to gather to Jerusalem to celebrate, and what's crazy enough is today is actually Pentecost Sunday, which is pretty awesome. And in my church tradition, like if you went to my church on Sunday, uh, we would have no idea it's Pentecost Sunday. Like this is just so far removed. Um, and so I love that we get to celebrate Pentecost Sunday together here at Kitsap House. So here at Pentecost, the people of God are instructed to set apart time to thank Yahweh. They're to celebrate with others and they're to dwell with God. This festival is part of a beautiful rhythm that God sets up for his people. But Pentecost can only be understood in part by looking at the passage we just read in Leviticus 23. In order to get a more full understanding of what we know as Pentecost today, we're going to need to look at the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we're going to look a little bit in Exodus as well. So we're going to be hopping all over the Old and the New Testament scriptures this morning. And as we launch into that, I just want to pray And I want to ask God to give us clarity and focus. And I want to continue our prayer to ask the Holy Spirit to come. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And God, we recognize that we can do no good apart from the work of your Holy Spirit within us. And so God, would you tune our eyes to be fixed on you this morning? Would you eliminate distractions? And would your love permeate our entire being? Lord, we love you. We give this morning to you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So I got to go back and actually listen to the very first sermon that Pastor Megan gave on uh, this series. So week one of this series. And Pastor Megan talked about how these festivals that we have here in Leviticus function as shadows of things to come in the New Testament. And this is exactly what we have going on here at Pentecost. And this is how Paul describes the feast in Colossians 2. This is what Paul says, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
So in Colossians 2, Paul is communicating not that the feasts in Leviticus are irrelevant or that they're worthless now that Christ has come, but rather that they point to a new and a greater reality. And, and when I think about shadows, this illustration that Paul uses, shadows have power. Shadows have power not because of what they are in their substance, but because of what they represent. How many of you are into uh, scary movies or are horror movie people? So not a single, one hand, two hands, okay. Or maybe you watched them when you were a kid and you're like, I've tried that, that's not a good thing. That was, that's probably me. So like the classic scene that I think of of a scary movie is there's a shadow and the shadow begins to creep around the hallway and it gets closer and closer and somebody's like sitting in the corner and they're watching the shadow creep around, creep, creep, creep. And the, and the scary part, yeah, sorry to scare you on a Sunday morning. Um, the scariest part about what's going on, it's, it's not actually the shadow, but it's what the shadow is representing, that there's a person behind the shadow that's coming, right? They're not scared of actually the, the light illusion that's giving the shadow. They're scared of the person behind the shadow. And the shadow is not the substance, but what it does is it points us to the substance. And similarly, at Pentecost, uh, the feast here in Leviticus is not the substance, but it's the shadow that's pointing us to the substance of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at the shadow of Pentecost in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the substance of that shadow in the New Testament. And out of the study, what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be a people of Pentecost today? What does it mean to be a people of Pentecost today? And the first thing is that people of Pentecost are people of provision. They're people of provision. In the Feast of Pentecost in Leviticus 23, we immediately see from the text over and over and over again about how Yahweh is the great provider. First, God provides a space for his people to dwell in their midst. And he has people bring their first fruits, which is the food that God has provided to them throughout the entire harvest season. Once again, God provides, and what he provides is rest for his people. He says, you should do no work on this day. And then what's also neat is God provides for those who can't provide for themselves. Verse 22, we read, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. At Pentecost, God provides. But there's something else that God provides which we can't see immediately in this text. Last week, uh, I got to meet with a man who worships at our church. His name's Joshua. And Joshua and his family are uh, practicing Jews. And he understands the Hebrew scriptures so, so deeply. And so I sat down with him and I said, Joshua, would you, would you tell me what it means for your people uh, to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost? And as he unfolded the scriptures for me, he said, well, Reese, do you know when the first Pentecost, the first, he called it the Shavuot, which is the Hebrew word for weeks. Do you know when the first one happened? And I said, isn't it here in Leviticus 23, right? Like what we're reading? And he said, no, 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 no. 
the very first Shavuot happened when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And I'm thinking, what? Where, like, where does it say that? Because I'm, I'm not reading that here. And he says, and then he, he begins to explain this to me. And so track with me here, because this is just, this is mind-blowing when we start to understand what's going on, okay? So Exodus 19.1 says, Israel came to Mount Sinai on the third day of the third month. Yahweh visited the people three days after that. So therefore the law was given by God on the sixth day of the third month of the biblical calendar, which is exactly 50 days from the crossing of the Red Sea, meaning that this right here was Pentecost, the first Pentecost. And my friend Joshua said, us Jews, we we call Pentecost, we actually call it the season of the giving of the Torah. Because this is the literal day that God revealed himself to the people of Israel as they stood at the base of Mount Sinai. So at the first Pentecost, God provides. And here he provides his word. And as we mentioned before, the Israelites were to celebrate Pentecost every year on the biblical calendar. First time is here in Exodus 19 at the giving of the Ten Commandments. Then in the New Testament... At the first Pentecost, after Jesus ascends into heaven, God pours out his Holy Spirit. Here's what we see in Acts. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now think about this. On the first Pentecost, God provides the word. And on the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, God provides the Spirit. I think that's mind-blowing. I think it's so beautiful to see how God uses time, which, which we just have such a foreign sense of here in the West, that God actually uses his biblical calendar to set events into order. So from God providing his word to Moses on the first Pentecost, to God providing a place for Pentecost in Leviticus, to God providing the Holy Spirit on the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, we see that at Pentecost, God provides. And Pentecost people are those who trust in God's provision. And God's people have always relied on God's provision. They have rested in the reality that God is faithful. He will provide for our needs. You know, one of the most difficult parts about coming to a new church and preaching uh, is that I know almost none of you. Uh, And so I don't know what you do for work. Uh, I don't know what your family is like, how many kids you have. I don't know what your marriage is like. I don't know the deep joys in your life, and I don't know the deep pains in your life. But I do know about our God. And I know that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know that he provided for Moses, for the apostles, and he will continue to provide for us today. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So can I encourage you this morning 
that we serve a God of Pentecost, the God who knows all your needs, who isn't surprised by your circumstances this morning, and who wants to meet you in the midst of those circumstances. So what does it mean to be a people of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost people are people of God's provision. And second, Pentecost people are set apart people. People of Pentecost are set apart. So the series that we've been walking through is called uh, Party as Witness. Is that right? Okay, so each feast is set apart to be a party for the people of God, but not just for the people of God, right? But for the people of God to be a witness to the rest of the world of Yahweh's goodness and faithfulness. And so here, when we read about the feast in Leviticus 23, we see all these like really intricate details of how the feast is to be prepared and set up, such as the specific amount of food offerings, the specific amount of animal offerings. And all of this points to God's holiness, right? Because a holy God requires holy offerings from his people. And to be holy quite simply means to be set apart. Our translation from holiness comes from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to cut. So to be holy means to be cut off or separate from everything else. And to participate in Pentecost is to worship a God that is set apart and embody his set apart nature to the rest of the world. The Israelites were to look different at Pentecost. They weren't to use up all their grain and harvest for all their own needs and then whatever they had left, they'd handed over to Yahweh. No, they were to set apart their first fruits. And they weren't to consume all that they had and simply allow the poor and the immigrant to make it on their own. No, they were to take care of them as well. They were to be a set-apart people, worshiping a God who's set apart. And this set-apart nature of our God comes through in Pentecost and Acts so, so clearly. This is what Acts 2, 42 through 45 says, after the Holy Spirit has come and filled his people. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The people at Pentecost, they lived differently. While the ancient Roman world was concerned with looking out for oneself and nobody else, early followers of Jesus set themselves apart by communing with one another, looking out for their neighbor and not just themselves. In fact, the love for one another was one of the primary markers of the early church. And this is what set them apart from everybody else. I love this quote from Julian the Apostate, which was an early enemy of Christianity. Here's what he says. Quote, the godless Galileans fed not only their poor, but ours also. Pentecost people are set apart in the way they care for one another. They're set apart to worship a holy God and in doing so function as a beaming light of hope to a dying and broken world. And the question I think we must all ask ourselves is how are we living lives that are set apart today? 
Maybe for you, maybe you would be radically generous with your time and your finances. When others spend money on countless material items that waste away, you will be relentless with your giving because you know God's kingdom is worth it and that he calls us to a heart of generosity. Or maybe you will be the family that chooses not to use cell phones after dinner time, which is like a huge taboo, I know. But maybe you'll be the family that shuts off electronics because you know you're so pulled to your phone and it pulls you away from your family. And so you'll do something a little radical because you want to be set apart to commune with God and to commune with your family. Or maybe instead of being somebody who insists on a busy lifestyle, constantly running from meeting to meeting, overwhelmed by sports practices, kids' activities, school events, work, constantly on edge, living in this constant state of anxiety. Maybe instead of that, you choose to slow down and embrace Sabbath, one of the festivals we've talked about in this series. You begin to slow down and proclaim to your soul that you are not the sum of what you do or what you consume. Set apart. God calls us to live set-apart lives. It will look different. Our rhythms and our practices will look different from the rest of the world, but this is how we embody the ways of our set-apart God. And it's important to say that we aren't simply set-apart or we aren't different just to be different, but we're different because it reflects our God who is in many ways different from us. So people of Pentecost are people who trust God's provision. They're set-apart by a holy God. And lastly, people of Pentecost receive power, receive power. As we already discussed, the very first Pentecost happened at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Now check out God's power on display in Exodus 19. This is what it says. It came to pass on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder claps and lightning flashes and a thick cloud was upon the mountain. And a very powerful blast of a shofar, and the entire nation that was in the camp shuddered. Moses brought the people out toward God from the camp, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. And the entire Mount Sinai smoked because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of the kiln, and the entire mountain quaked violently. On the very first Pentecost, God's power is on full display when he gives them the word. Thunderclaps, lightning flashes, a powerful display of God. And at Pentecost in the book of Acts, the people of God experience God's power once again. Except this time, it's not the power of the outflowing of the word, but of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2, verses 1 through 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You see the similarity between the passage in Exodus 19? And then here, verses 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and, this sound, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. So I want to I just hone in on this for just a minute. This is really, really interesting. 
So once again, we see similarities between the first Pentecost and the Pentecost here in Acts. And here's the scene in Acts. People gathered from all over, from different nations to Jerusalem, as was commanded back in Leviticus 23, to celebrate Pentecost. And the Roman historian Tacitus said this about Pentecost. The holy city, with a population then of about 600,000, exploded into between two and three million because of the pilgrims. So the scene is people gather from all over, all different nations, speaking different languages, and the Holy Spirit comes, and they begin to understand each and every one of them in their own native tongue. Now, can anyone think of a time in Scripture where God used a miracle that had to do with language? Someone say, yeah, Tower of Babel, right? Genesis 11, this is what happens. God sees the people trying to make a name for themselves, right? And so instead what he does is he gives them all different languages which scatter the people. God comes down, changes the language, the people scatter. Check out the similarity in Acts. In Acts, people are not scattering. scattering. They're instead gathering to Jerusalem. God comes down, he works a miracle of language, but not to divide, but to allow unity to form. And then the people scatter, like in Genesis, but this time it's to scatter to share the gospel message. Pastor Andrew Wilson wrote this, at Babel, the scattering was an act of judgment in response to disobedience, bringing incomprehension and fracture. But at Pentecost, it's an act of blessing in response to obedience, bringing new understanding and unity. Pentecost, in an important sense, is Babel's reversal. Pentecost really does function as the radical reversal of Babel. It's the place where God's Holy Spirit power is on full display, allowing believers to dwell in unity with one another. And as we finish up here, the last thing I want to touch on is where the Holy Spirit power comes to dwell. Because what we miss in this passage in Acts is that Jesus had just given out the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. He had given this announcement, and what he says is a tall task. Go and share the gospel to everybody. And I can imagine the early apostles thinking, Jesus, you're telling us to do this, but you're not even going to be here anymore. We didn't even take the gospel to everybody here. How are we supposed to take it to everybody in the world? And, and now you've, you've left. And so I imagine the sense of, of wondering, where's, where's the power? How can we do this on our own? And the question comes in of, are, are we able to do this on our own? And, you know, I think, when I think about who God is, God gives us the what, which is the Great Commission, but he doesn't leave us without, without a how. And the how to accomplish the Great Commission is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to close with this story. I told you I was going to talk about football, and I know we're getting close to time, so I'm going to be quick, okay? But I got to share a football story. Uh, 
so I, I played uh, college football at the University of Montana. And the uh, first game of the season, uh, our coach, we're going up against the number one team in the country who had won four, state, four straight national championships. And their quarterback was drafted in the very first round of the NFL draft. And this team was coming into playoffs. And we're thinking, like, there's no way we can beat this team. And our coach gives us the what, the big pep talk. We're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to beat this team. It's going to be a huge upset. And we're thinking, okay, but like how? Like, like, how, like how are we going to do this? And so our coach draws up this play. And I think we have a, a slide. You can see the score is 35 to 31. Our team is down by four. There's 27 seconds left. It's fourth down. And yours truly right there, that's me, the red, the red circle. This is what's called, you guys didn't expect to get football terminology, but just, just I'm going to nerd out for 20 seconds. The team we're playing is, is using a Tampa 2 defense, which means that the two guys in the top are going to cover the two halves of the field in the corners. But that leaves a huge hole right in the middle of the field and the guy down by the line of scrimmage has to cover this entire middle field. And I'm supposed to go straight through that middle to be able to catch the ball because there's a huge gap. And so our coach comes in, he says, we're gonna, we're gonna go in and win, and I'm gonna show you how. And so he draws up this play. I'm not gonna tell you what happened. You'll have to, you can ask me after service with, <laughs> on fourth down with 27 seconds left, so a good coach always gives the team a powerful what, but they'll never leave them without the how, a good game plan. And similarly, our God gives us the what, the great commission, but he doesn't leave us without the power of the how. And the power of the how that is unfolded in Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what we are to receive as God's people. Pentecost should remind us that we have no power to do anything good apart from the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, we can do more than we could ever imagine. We've unpacked a lot of different scripture today. We've jumped from Old Testament to New Testament. We've talked about football, which you probably didn't expect to hear today. Um, but I'd like you just to take away one thing amongst all of this. And it's really less of something I want you to take, and it's more of something I want you to receive, and that's the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and if you feel insignificant, or if you feel like you don't have the power to faithfully follow God, the reality is you probably don't, but we serve a God who's given us his Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, we can. And so as the kids come forward, I want to close us in prayer, and I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to come just as we began. So would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. God, we recognize that we are empty without you, and we try to live lives that are faithful to you, but we often come, out, come up short. Lord, we often try to rely on our own strength and our own power when you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to walk alongside us. 
And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill our hearts so that we may walk more faithfully with you? Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.